Hello and welcome to Immigrantly. I am your host Sadia Khan. Our today's guest is Vibhav Jain. Vibhav is a dental surgeon and public health researcher from New Delhi, India. He currently works as an independent consultant on global health issues and language access for Asian American minorities, primarily consulting with the US Census Bureau and several national non-partisan organizations that mobilize Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in electoral and civic participation. Vibhav is openly gay and is a vocal advocate for LGBTQ+ rights and visibility within the South Asian and larger AAPI community. He's also the chair of technology for South Asians for Biden. He's currently leading all AAPI events for the Biden campaign. So before we start our conversation with Vibhav, I wanted to say something about the upcoming elections. Now, if you're like me, an unenthusiastic Biden voter, you may be feeling frustrated whether it's with the dnc or the two party system or just the overall state of the country believe you me feelings of frustration and despair are completely valid but that just means you and i are paying attention to what's happening around us it's no secret that this is a crucial election for our country what happens in november will set a precedent for the future of the country Unfortunately, checking out of politics is not an option right now. The reality is it is Biden or Trump. And even though we are disappointed once again by the DNC's aversion to progressive ideals, we can't deny the reality. Biden may not be your candidate. He's certainly not mine, but I know this. He is the only candidate. Don't forget to vote this November. And now to our today's guest. People ask me like why are you doing this and I'm like it's just the larger uh, you know cause for all of us. It's actually to get a just government, an honest government, you know, an honest yeah. leader in the White House. So, you know, whenever I feel like I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I need some sleep, I just imagine four more years of Donald Trump and I'm back on track and I start doing more work and I get excited. Vibhav, we are finally doing this. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time out to interview today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Happy to help and happy to answer any questions that you have today. So as you know, campaigns are ramping up efforts with what less than 2 months to go. But before we delve into details, let's start with your role. You started as part of South Asians for Biden. but now your role has expanded to include the senior advisor with the larger asian american and pacific islanders group for biden outreach for listeners how would you describe your role 
Sure. So yeah, you're right, Sadia. So around April of 2020, I uh, was actually, you know, looking at, you know, Biden's chances, you know, I believe he had finished the primaries and he was mm. the main contender for the Democratic nominee. So I had reached out to the API um, outreach director, Amit Jani. He was a good friend of ours. So I said, hey, Amit, I just want to help. And what I really did was I, you know, I love doing graphics uh, just mm. as a hobby. So I did a little graphic of vote Joe Biden and I wrote it in Hindi and I made it like really beautiful. I just sent it to him saying, hey, if you're looking for looking for some, you know, language uh, in language graphics, I can make those for you. And then he's, yeah. I sent it to him and he's like, oh, my God, Webhub, this is great. Do you have time? And, you know, would you like to help out on the campaign? So uh, my husband, Parag Mehta, you know, has been a political um, operator for many, many years. So I actually spoke with him. Mm. I said, hey, what do you think? I really want to help out. So would this be a good idea? He said, absolutely. And it just so happened that right now I'm actually doing contracting. I'm not doing a full-time job. I'm basically uh, doing work in public health research, but uh, taking contracts as they come. So nothing, uh, you know, as a full-time role. So I had the time as mm. well. So uh, just to clarify, I'm actually not an official, you know, member of the campaign, but I'm a volunteer. I'm an official volunteer. And in that volunteer capacity, I now serve as a senior advisor for API engagement. And what my work there is primarily is to engage communities. So I help, you know, Amit primarily with reaching out to sub, you know, API communities like uh, South Asians for Biden, Japanese American, Chinese American. So API is the larger umbrella. And under that, we mm. have different affinity groups around the ethnic uh, backgrounds of API people. So I basically help reach out to them, you know, connect with them. I help set up affinity groups, uh, you know, basically reaching out to community leaders, asking them, hey, we are starting this. Would you be interested to help out on the Japanese American movement or the Chinese American movement? Then within that, there were comp strategies that I was helping with. And then as we moved forward, you know, we built our team. So I was also helping with volunteer recruitment. I was doing some interviews and I was sort of helping as Amit's deputy. So whatever Amit mm. was doing on his day to day, you know, uh, on the comm side, I was helping with that. I built some of the social media and digital strategy, initial one. And then I actually now moved to events side. So as you know, Sadia, you know, we are living in literally dystopian times yeah. <laughs> uh, and never in the history of America or, you know, politics in general here in the US have we experienced this kind of political campaign. Everything mm. is virtual. So it's mm. practically, mm. That's you know, true. all we have to do, we have to find innovative ways to connect with people, to engage, you know, people and doing that virtually could be really hard because you can imagine, I don't know about you, but I've been on lockdown for almost six months now and, you know, it can yeah. be really depressing. So we have to find like innovative ways to keep people connected, keep telling them that, you know, there's still hope and this is how you do it. And so finding virtual, you know, strategies to do it. And the best way to do that is basically, uh, you know, through events. So I primarily mm. now manage all the events on the API side of the campaign. So anything from starting the event to logistics, you know, securing surrogates from the main campaign, you know, getting, uh, you know, some graphics from my graphics team. So I have a team of about five people who I work with and I sort of mm. lead that team in getting events from the ground until their launch. So that's primarily my role at the moment. So Vibhav, what kind of engagement have you seen, especially from Asian community? Because the prevailing narrative is that Asians are not as engaged in political discourse in America or anywhere else. So what do you think? What kind of feedback or engagement are you getting? 
That's actually a great question. Yes. So I'll be honest, the 10 years ago when I actually nine years ago, when I moved to the US, I did not see ad, as much of the engagement. But from what I know, mm. when President Obama came, I think that's when the API community really stepped up and they started to show engagement. I think around Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton's campaign, there was, as you you and I both know now, there was massive disinformation campaigns. So a lot mm. of API communities who were uh, you're not as aware of the political process and how these two candidates were just, you know, chose to believe what they saw on social media, on like WhatsApp or WeChat for Chinese Americans, WhatsApp for South Asians. And they actually believed a lot of that. Very often I hear, you know, South Asians say that, hey, I read this about Joe Biden and I ask them, hey, what's your sauce? And they're like, oh, I got a WhatsApp forward. It's so rampant. Like, it's unbelievable that, you know, even after all these years, we still have that issue of misinformation. Having said that, the API community has stepped up. There was a recent poll that was released by API Vote and API Data, which says that uh, Asian Americans, a majority of Asian Americans, support Joe Biden over, um, you know, over President Trump uh, as the next president of the United States. So are there any specific tools the campaign is using to counteract misinformation um, and to stop it from spreading? Sure. Yeah. So I think what has happened for us is we've actually, so I'll I'll tell the API perspective. What we are doing is hmm. we've actually worked with the campaign to develop, you know, talking points, but we've also given tools to the affinity groups, for instance, you know, Chinese Americans for Biden and South Asians for Biden, Japanese Americans for Biden. We've actually worked with them and, you know, identified some of the grievances or misinformation that they're actually hearing hmm. and then working to create, you know, counter narratives and basically clarifying, uh, you know, information of what the narrative, how this narrative has been misinterpreted and how it should mm. be countered. Again, the campaign has always told us and we continue to do that is we base everything we say, we speak, we show on facts. This campaign right. is running only on facts. It believes in science. It believes in actual things that have happened, not imaginary things that President <laughs> Trump believes in and his entire administration <laughs> believes in, not hypothetical things, actual facts. So we've always, you know, realized that, yeah, the other side is playing dirty. So when countering right. that side, we always, you know, counter with facts with correct information, with honest facts and honest information. So we do that, we can develop these counter narratives and then we develop, we actually have developed uh, rapid response teams. So a lot of our affinity groups have developed rapid response teams and they, the moment they hear a counter, you know, something which is a, uh, you know, incorrect disinformation or, you know, some uh, uh, incorrect narrative, we basically just, uh, you know, develop traffics or we develop, mm. uh, you know, we actually have volunteers on our team who write op-eds clarifying that, you know, this is incorrect. Like, for instance, uh, you know, it could be some position that Vice President Biden or some statement that Vice President Biden may have made. And it could be part of a larger interview. And people would obviously, other side just loves to pull out lines without any context right. and they'll just start pushing it. So our job will be basically giving the context. Well, yeah, he said that, but it was in this context. It was an interview yeah. around that. And that's why he said it. And Vice President Biden's record actually reflects, you know, all of what you're saying is incorrect. So basically giving that counter narrative, that's how we're working on it, having rapid response teams. 
So Vibhav, there's so much that you're doing and it is crunch time. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how stressed are you right now? I think it's 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my first campaign, Sadi. I've never done political campaigns. I always uh, you huh. know, saw my husband do it and it was just so thrilling for me just to see. I think it's the adrenaline and, you know, I'm right. basically running on four hours of sleep. And uh, But, you know, I think it's the larger. I, people ask me, like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, it's just the larger. Uh, you know cause for all of us it's actually to get a just government an honest government you know an honest yeah. leader in the white house so you know whenever i feel like i'm exhausted i'm tired i need some sleep i just imagine four more years of donald trump and i'm back on track and i start doing more work and i get excited yeah it can be exhausting but it's actually very fulfilling do you have any self-care routine right now that you're relying on mm, i think my self-care to be honest is my husband's chai so he uh, oh, nice. very kindly, you know, makes chai for me in the morning. Uh, you know, he makes sure that, you know, I get enough rest in the night. Like uh, I, I'm a night person. So I try, you know, going late into the night, answering emails when nobody else is obviously responding. So I basically do that late in the night. But my husband has put a check mark saying by, like latest by one o'clock, two o'clock in the night, you have to come to bed five to six hours of sleep and then, you know, get up in the morning again and start working. That's the only self-care I'm getting at the moment. But, you know, my husband makes sure that there's nice dhiti chai in the morning my mother-in-law is here who's been cooking delicious food for me again no oh, wow. expectations i'm literally sitting on a chair all day working sadia so food will <laughs> appear in front of me i will eat food, uh, you know plates will disappear from me, uh, in front of me so i've just the family has been so so supportive because they all realize how important this is that's that's the self-care i'm getting but it's actually the care that i'm getting from others which has become self-care what kind of chai do you like? Do you like chai with elaichee and ginger and all of that? Or it's like simple milk, tea and sugar? Yes, that, that hits the spot. So I'm not like, I'm sorry for all my American friends. I don't like American tea and the American <laughs> chai latte, whatever they call it. It's my desi chai that I like. I like my chai with half milk, half water. I put some elaichee. I put some chai masala. I put some mishri and sometimes I put some ginger. Let it seep and, uh, you know, do, uh, you know, milk, like full cream milk, not like some 1%, 2% nonsense. For my <laughs> chai, I like my full, uh, full uh, fat milk and that's my chai. I love that. And you call it chai. We don't call it chai tea, right? Yeah, oh my God. Chai tea basically <laughs> means tea tea. Like that's so, that's so like irrelevant. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about what's happening in the last week. A lot has unfolded. And to give context for our listeners, we are recording this interview only a week after the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The future of some of our constitutional rights is literally hanging in the balance. We know that there is a chance Supreme Court's makeup will change to the conservative supermajority of 6-3, which could have substantive impact on reproductive well-being of future generations, LGBTQ plus rights, racial issues, immigration issues. How have mobilization efforts evolved during this changing political landscape? especially in Biden campaign. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Things have changed a lot in the last week. Justice Ginsburg's passing was obviously an irreparable loss for the Democratic leadership, but also, you know, just American people. She has been a champion of reproductive mm. rights, LGBT rights. I, I don't know if you know this, but LGBT people actually look up to her for so much like of inspiration. But also she was one of the deciding judges, you know, when the LGBTQ marriage equality case was won in the Supreme Court. And she mm. wrote beautifully about our rights and our, our civil liberties 
countries and how every uh, person should be treated equally in America. How things have changed? I think we always knew that this election was supposed to go one way or another. And now we know even better that, um, you know, there is no other way. It has to go uh, in the direction of Joe Biden because we want to make sure that we don't have a Supreme Court with six, three, where six, are, um, you know, conservative and three, three uh, progressives mm. are, um, you know, on the bench. And that doesn't really reflect America. Because let's be honest, you know, of all the uh, presidential campaigns that, you know, you and I may have experienced or, you know, have heard of, the popular majority in America always, always, always has voted for a Democratic president. We yeah. want to make sure that the courts reflect that. So since uh, Justice Ginsburg's passing, what we've seen is rise in donations. So you must have read mm. it. You know, uh, so many news article talks about yeah. millions of dollars have poured in, not just the presidential side, but on the Senate and the House side. Millions of dollars have poured in, basically, mm. um, you know, in support of Democratic candidates. I've heard it's it was like 100 million in a day or something. Mm. Yep, that is absolutely correct. So it was almost like 100 million in a day. We've heard so many more people, you know, getting out the vote, basically volunteering. In the last week, I believe I've received about 10, 20 emails from people saying, hey, uh, wow. have, I heard that you're helping with the campaign. Can you, can I help with something? Again, not prompted by me, nothing at all. I reach out to my friends, you know, over the, over the months anyways. Hey, if you're interested, you know, reach out to me. Suddenly in the last week, I've received so many emails, people just saying, tell me what I can do. You know, give me resources. Where can I donate? What is the GOTV, get out the vote, uh, you know, uh, toolkit? Give me uh, all that I can do. And it's basically, it's showing how important this election has suddenly become. And we know that the other side likes to play dirty. They want to make sure that they, by hook or by crook, they get a conservative, uh, you know, Supreme Court. But we have to make sure that, uh, you know, even if that does happen, I hope it does not. And I, you know, every day we're mm. trying to make sure that that does not happen. But if it does, we have to then ensure that we have a democratic president and a democratic Congress so that there is checks and balances mm. in the American government. So Vibhav, why Joe Biden though? That's a fantastic question. And why Joe Biden is because it's personal for me. Mm. Um, like I mentioned, I check so many boxes for minorities. And Joe Biden is a candidate that I feel who understands minorities, who has fought for the you know rights of minorities for a very, very long time. Mm. You know, right now, Sadia, we need to restore like sanity, functionality and rule of law in this country. Mm. All of those parts in the government also. And Joe Biden is, you know, a candidate who is qualified, who is empathetic, who is a champion, I would say, of people who are voiceless, people who felt left behind, be it any race, any, uh, you know, ethnic minority, any gender, uh, you know, any uh, sexual minority. We've all felt loved by Joe Biden. Mm. We've known this candidate to be our vice president for eight years. And we loved President Obama so well. And we loved Joe Biden so much. So I think none of that love should have changed now that he's running for president. We should, if anything, we should be supporting him more. Because mm. when you, we have to remember this. When President Obama was running for office, uh, you know, he chose Joe Biden. Joe Biden was President Obama's senior. Mm. That man said that, yes, this is about serving my people. And I will serve with a, uh, you know, a senator who's junior to me. Joe Biden was a senior senator yeah. and, Joe, uh, and Obama was a junior senator from Illinois. But it's about leadership. He saw that leadership that, Joe, that President Obama had and he chose to help him. And he chose to stand by him for eight years with loyalty. 
So now when it comes to, you know, Joe fighting for our rights, I think we all need to get behind. He's always, you know, start, start, sort of helped, you know, the, the voiceless. Like, let's talk about how he fought for the right uh, for a woman to choose. And also for the fact that he worked with, uh, you know, uh, congressional Democrats on uh, VAVA, which is uh, Violence Against Women's Act. So he helped, uh, you know, understand, uh, helped the country understand how important it is to uh, you know, address the subject of domestic violence uh, in, you know, for women. And uh, he passed, helped pass uh, VAVA. I would think about the cancer moonshot. That man lost his son to yeah. cancer. There's nothing in it for him. He has lost so much in his life. But, you know, every time this man has lost something, I think he's channeled his grief, Sadia, into action. I do believe that at this point in time, we should absolutely vote for Joe Biden. But as a progressive, to be honest, I don't align with all of his policies. So the Violence Against Women Act that you're referring to was part of the 1994 crime bill drafted by Joe Biden and signed by President Bill Clinton. And this is just to give context for those who don't know about this. It contained a laundry list of crime-fighting measures, ranging from three-strike provisions, mandating a life sentence for repeat offenders, and, by the way, funding for states to hire 100,000 additional police officers. And it's believed that the bill led to mass incarceration of the Black community. Honestly, I don't think... Biden should be proud of it. In fact, some suggest that Violence Against Women Act provision was used as a bargaining chip to gain support for this highly controversial bill at the time. As a minority Muslim woman in America, I know that I don't have any other option. I cannot vote for a party that has dehumanized me for the last four years. Yeah, and absolutely. And, you know, to be honest, like in the primaries, I was actually supporting Mayor Pete Buttigieg because I aligned with what a lot of what he said. Mm. He was, again, the first LGBTQ person, you know, running. But the reason uh, I started supporting Joe Biden is that, like I mentioned, there is no other option. He is, there's no other option, but he's also the best option at this time. Right. And I agree, like, you know, there could be some policy that you know you may disagree with or I may disagree with but you know the, the thing is we first have to restore order to become more progressive and more orderly in this country once we get that order from with you know with Joe Biden as the president and Kamala Harris as a vice president I think that's when we can have conversations and say okay we have now achieved you know what we wanted to now let's talk ask the difficult questions here are the policies which have you know hurt our progressive movement mm. and this is what we need to do but right now we have somebody in the office and he's running for a re-election somebody who's not even ready to listen to us exactly at least we have a champion in joe biden who is out there wants to listen to us empathizes with us loves us for who we are and then he will give us that platform to then be open ask the hard questions if you hear his interviews you know it'll be so fascinated he does not shy away from hard questions he Kamala yeah. Harris they both have said ask us the hard questions on day one yeah but first get us elected and hold them accountable for what they've done in the past and how do they proceed moving forward right Yes, give them an opportunity to become better. Give them an opportunity to, you know, correct the mistakes of the past. Because exactly. we're all humans at the end of the day. Yeah. With that aunt of mine who said horrible things about me, uh, you know, of me being gay, she loves me now. Yeah. But then that's because I gave her a chance right. to become better. 
so basically giving an opportunity to people to get better again right support you know what we believe in so we have let's talk about your personal life you are openly gay and your father-in-law's emotional speech at your wedding went viral after it was posted on now this news and for listeners if you haven't seen it i would highly recommend watching it it is so emotional and so moving and he talked about the moment your husband came out and his reaction ultimately he came to the conclusion that he should love his son for who he is which is beautiful and i was a very homophobic person there is no question about it so i thought there is no big deal i'll fix him i'll find the best treatment center in the country I'll find the cure for it and I'll handle it. Monday morning I was the first person to enter the medical library and I pulled out all the cumulus medicus which means all the article they're all listed in one book for last 5 years for G and H and all that and I started looking up the article. And then I suddenly realized in 30 minutes that American Psychological Association back in 1973 had declared that gay people is not a disease it is not a defect it is not to be cured it is not contagious and if you accept somebody is gay your child is not likely to be more gay than otherwise i asked a simple question do i love my son any less at 431 than i loved him at 424 and a long pause and the answer was no i still love him the same <laughs> what was that moment like that speech at your wedding what was going through your mind at at that particular moment honestly and i'm being very very candid here we were both hmm. scared because you, you know my, my father in law is a beautiful public speaker as you can see but he is also a dad so you know yeah. sometimes when dads are talking they'd be bragging but the other moment they'll actually pull our legs they would say something funny and you know <laughs> some of that speech was you know very very poignant uh, i'll be honest like first of all when parag and i started hearing it uh, we were not very sure what he was going to say because before yeah. the uh, before the wedding we actually um, you know told uh, my father in law we said dad uh do you want to just show us your speech and he said uh-huh. vijay mehta has never needed any vetting on his speech and he still doesn't so you don't much <laughs> need to see what and we were like oh brother this is going to be fun <laughs> so we <laughs> so we had our fingers crossed and we were literally hearing him for the first time you know as he spoke and that time parag and i were a little nervous like you could see in the video that you know yeah. parag and i were a, a little bit nervous and shocked at some of the things that he was saying he actually mentioned that you know parag attempted suicide like that's not something that mm. you want to hear on mm. your wedding mm. you know day mm. that your father talking about your suicide and he he said all that and you know that did not occur to us that was something that you know is new to us because we all knew it we've lived it he's talked about it before when the speech was over and then when people reached out to us that's when we realized the impact of that you know of that speech so next morning after the reception when we were bidding farewell to our friends so many of them came to me and parag they said guys that wedding was the wedding of the century this is one of the best mm. wedding that we've attended there was so mm. much love there was so much of authenticity and emotions and like everything that you guys did but we have to be honest your father/father-in-law stole the show You guys mm-hmm. were the celebrities mm-hmm. but trust me they, he stole the show. I hope you know how far his remarks are going to go. 
you know, so many people said that. So, you know, it was very nice to hear. And then I was talking to my father-in-law a few days later. I said, Dad, a, friend, a few of my friends have been asking for your speech. So our videographer had given us, you know, the entire video. So I cut it up and I said, Dad, I'm just going to go ahead and post it on YouTube. I think it had reached about 100,000 views. We were just not sure what was going on. And that's when we realized the magnanimity, you know, the impact that the, his words had. How candid that conversation was, but how it made him vulnerable, right? So the mm. fact that, I don't know if you remember the entire conversation, Sadia, he talks about being a homophobe otherizing people who were different and hmm. he was that person and then when he realized his own son is gay he talks about his journey of coming to acceptance hmm. and realizing that love is the force that actually helped him conquer his fear of homo you know homophobia get over his homophobia and eventually coming to love his son and his son's partner and eventually you know supporting our marriage so i saw that and i also watched a couple of videos where you talked about your coming out journey and how you came out to your parents and that's a beautiful story as well so it seems to me that your immediate families both your and your husband's are very supportive but i am also from a desi community and i know how judgmental desis can be at times were there any expectations from certain people of supporting you and they did not support or what was extended family's response like or friends response were you disappointed in some people or were you pleasantly surprised by others so thank you for asking that question because you know what happens people see these videos and they get very excited they're like oh my god look at this perfect couple hmm. and you know their parents hmm. are so great uh, what's funny is that after we got married i have received over 1000 friends request on facebook uh thousands of people have started following me on instagram just because they're like and you know the the usual uh text that i get from people is one oh my god you mm. are so lucky your parents are amazing i wish my parents would become that they would never and second can you talk to me in hindi can you talk to me in the local language acceptance is obviously important but also language access so i first i want right. to talk about acceptance so yes my parents completely support me and parag they were very supportive of our marriage but we didn't get that immediately it took my parents mm. at least 5 years to get there like when mm. i came out to my parents sadia my parents said we love you this mm. is really horrible for us to know and learn but we still love you because you are our son and for us you are more important than anything else so you have mm. to stop worrying we will start worrying for you what i didn't realize is that in that worrying they actually started to worry a little extra and they started to worry about what people are going to say and that they see mm. you know the phrase lo kya kahenge what would chachi say what would tai say ah. what would your bua say what would your mama say and those were the conversations they were really scared of they started mm. uh, getting scared of the unknown and that was mm. a fear that you know parag and i had to help you know alleviate help them understand because the uh, we told them from the very beginning and that's what parag's father also did is control the message when uh, mm. we came out to our, when anybody was is to come out to their family if you control the message if your family goes uh, you know f- first and forward and tell everybody hey our son's gay our daughter's a lesbian a person's tra- our, our child is trans um, mm. that actually controls the message and you know you don't have your uh, desi family gossiping about it there were so many uncles and aunts that were gossiping about 2 3 years in i requested that hey could you start coming out to your own siblings mom and dad 
so they did mm. and you know uh, they were very scared that you know their uh, their siblings are going to stop talking to them say things to them some of them did not but uh, when they did say it, they said it behind their backs they said oh they've given webhav a lot of freedom that's why he became this way and aunt told one uh, one uncle who's a doctor unfortunately said oh my god why didn't you bother telling me this 5 years ago when i was at this hospital we could have oh gotten treated this oh. and that and my father and my mother are looking at him in shock saying you're a physician like do you not know what being gay is what homosexuality is like literally exactly. uh, you know american psychological association indian psychological association have written research papers on the fact mm. that homosexuality mm. is not a disease it's not mm. like something that people choose to be it's something that's come naturally into human beings a lot of people believe that 10% of the world population is on the lgbtq spectrum so mm. the fact that you know you're you're saying stuff like oh your son needs treatment is really shocking so it hurt my parents and you know it definitely did hurt me but then something that i parag and i always have remembered sadia is we wanted people to come you know sort of walk in their own light and come to us when they are comfortable we didn't want mm. anybody to feel uncomfortable because that's mm. not what we were about we are like we are trying to live our lives with honesty we have told you who we are and this is how we're right. going to live now it's up to you whether you want to have a relationship with us or not if you do mm-hmm. it shows genuine love that you love us regardless of who we are what we are who we love and how we love but if you do not but there is de- definitely there is some you know uh, you had some uh, you know i don't know if it's uh, annoyance if it's jealousy if it's disgust whatever yeah. reaction you're having other than love i don't need that negative energy mm. you can keep that with you you come to me when you're happy for me and when you're positive and if you're not that's fine too bad for me too bad for you that's fine i mean we have we came to that acceptance but luckily for us people have come a long way in my family they've all been very very accepting now it took took uh, it took a while but yeah they they've come on board finally so viviv you're also a vocal advocate for lgbtq rights within the asian community here can you tell us a bit about your advocacy what is your focus and what do you think is the critical issue especially for asian american lgbtq plus people so um are you asking about the issues here at home in the us or back home in india in the us so you know it's so funny uh, sadia we feel that we live in america so everything is so progressive my parents were under the impression that oh web have you know parag's parents had it so easy because they live in america it's accepted there that's actually not true mm. you know when your parents or you or some of your family may have moved like i'll give you parag's parents as example a lot of people that moved here in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s are sort of stuck in the india of 60s and 70s homosexuality is still a big no no uh, you know it's uh, you know very uh, there there are certain norms that every boy and a girl should be following not date a girl or not date a boy till age 18 uh, you know get married at a certain age then after a certain age if you don't get married they're like why don't you have a girlfriend why don't you have a boyfriend it occurs to them saying wait we didn't let our kids date <laughs> for a good chunk of their life why are we demanding them that they have a boy friend a girlfriend a husband or a wife now you know this is so true vibhav i hear this from so many friends who have kids in their 20s and 30s and it surprises me that they won't allow their kids to date initially but then when their kids are in their 30s they are like why aren't they getting married 
<laughs> I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's really surprising. And, you know, I also thought when I came from India, you know, my parents are typically very progressive. A lot of Indians that I've met, I've hung out with are actually progressive because India has come a long way. Pakistan has come a long way. Bangladesh has come mm. a long way. But mm. I don't know if Pakistani Americans, Indian Americans, Bangladeshi Americans or other South Asian Americans have come that far when it comes to, you know, these uh, LGBTQ rights, especially. Because I think there's lack of education on those aspects, right? What you mm. see, the typically LGBTQ community, uh, you know, talks about here is very white male centric. Uh, if you are talking about LGBT rights, the role models that you would see would be a white man on the screen, you know, talking about their struggles. So, you know, they've never mm. seen themselves or their children being reflected in those stories. So they always thought, oh, it's a, you know, white person concept or it's a foreign concept. It's never really been in our culture. But well, the fact of the matter is, if you go back to our uh, South Asian civilizations, uh, you know, going back to a lot of Hindu temples in India, you will actually see and read scripts that talk about uh, homosexuality or, you know, alternate sexuality being part of mm. the South Asian society for centuries. We actually embraced that culture. We actually embraced sexuality. We embraced, you know, love, expression of love. I mean, we come from the land where Kama Sutra was written. So, you know, I'm, I'm not mm. sure how suddenly the sharam or the shame concept came in. And Parag and I have had long conversations about this. And we actually think that a lot of it is to do with our, uh, the, colonial, the colonization of India and, uh, you know, our uh, South yeah. Asian uh, community. And when basically India was colonized, British brought this concept of shame that, oh, this is really bad. Something that, you know, yeah. is not uh, in the, uh, you know, in quotes, order of nature is uh, wrong uh, and it's incorrect and it's mm. deviant and it's bad. And I think that's what we all adopted over the centuries and lived in that norm saying, oh, anything that's away from the normal is not nice. I think the biggest issue I hear, see for the LGBTQ community here, API community in America is education, lack of education, lack of in-language education. Like you see, again, everything is in English. You and I, are English proficient, but there are hundreds upon hundreds of uh, Asian Americans, thousands, I would say, who are actually limited English proficient. You give them a concept that they've never heard of, and that, again, is in English. It's, it's a, a recipe for disaster. So, you know, finding role models uh, who are API. And, you know, that not to say that that hasn't happened. I think since the time I moved to the U.S., things have changed. We see, you know, if you go to Human Rights Campaign and their website, like, you know, that's the biggest LGBTQ advocacy organization in the country. They have a lot of, uh, you know, API folks also. Not as many as we'd like to see, but we are seeing them. But we also have groups like NCAPIA, which is National Queer Asian Pacific Islander American group, which is basically a group of LGBTQ Asian Americans who are fighting for advocacy rights, uh, fighting for the rights of Asian Americans, wherein we have um, access to language, you know, in, in services. And you have to remember, a lot of these LGBTQ Asians who are coming to the country don't just come as students, you know, who know English really well. A lot of them are refugees. A lot of them come mm. fleeing countries, you know, where LGBT being gays, you know, is a crime. So they don't know That's a lot true. about America. And then pushing these concepts onto them that or, or pushing, you know, English language concepts on them is a little bit hard. So you have to help them understand these concepts in their language. So language access, I think, is huge. Representation is huge. Those are the two things I think that we really need to work on to start. And with all that you've mentioned, resources, organizations, we will post links to them once we release your episode. For all, all the listeners, if you're interested, we will be posting links to all of that. Now I want to switch gears and go back to politics. Um, I am actually interested in knowing that do you consider yourself a progressive or a centrist? 
That is a good question. And, you know, I had to, for the longest time, I had to understand, you know, in India, it was just like two political parties. So we just chose between the parties and, you know, both of them had like mixed views sometimes, right? So when I came to America, I'm like, Parag, yeah. what am I? Am I a Democrat or am I a Republican? So Parag asked me, <laughs> hey, do you believe in LGBT rights? I said, yes. Do you believe that guns are bad for us? I said, yes. Do you believe in a woman's right to choose? I said, yes. Do you believe in healthcare for all? I said, yes. He's like, you're a Democrat, don't worry. So that's how you'll be. <laughs> awesome. Okay. <laughs> that's a good thing to say. So I think um, I'm definitely progressive, but uh, you know, I would say progressivism is uh, a spectrum. So I am somewhere right. on that spectrum where I believe that everybody has a right to choose what they'd like to do in their lives. Um, and I also feel that, you know, it, it's it's large, the larger question here, Sadi, I believe, is not that if I am progressive, it, it's more like, you know, whether every American is a progressive. And the the, hmm. the reason I say that is because, you know, progressivism is basically, literally means moving forward. Opposite right. of it is regressive. Right. Who in their lifetime would actually want to be regressive? <laughs> Republicans. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and it's surprising. And, you know, you it'd be funny that, that they would say that they're conservative, but so many things about them have been around progress. Their views have evolved. You know, they were, this was a party who would actually never had any sort of diversity and, you know, it's still the case, but maybe from zero, uh, you know, black or people of color, uh, you know, candidates in their party, they may have two now. So <laughs> there is progress. Yeah. There's yeah. considerable amount of progress to be made there. But uh, yeah, I, I believe that I am definitely a progressive. Progressivism, you know, basically means uh, you believe in progress, you believe in going forward. And regressive means, you know, you are going backward. And who would want to be backward? You know, it's, progressives are the ones who believe in opportunity and, you know, equity for everybody. Right. That's what I deep inside myself believe in. And I believe that America is a story of, you know, sort of like an ever expanding rights. So I want to be part of that story. So, you know, like I mentioned, the question is not that whether I'm a progressive. I, I think that shouldn't every single American be a progressive? That's what I would say. That's well put. Now, what if Trump wins? I am so scared right now. His actions are already aligned with the actions of a fascist leader, right? And I'm sure it is going to get worse if he's re-elected. How do you think democratic establishment will step up to fight it? Okay, first of all, you and I both know that that's not going to happen. Let's let's start believing that mm. it's not going to happen because I, I still want to say that there's only a 0.00001% of chance of him winning because that's how we will win this election. Yeah. When you and I believe that we will and we go out and vote, register our friends and family to vote and win. Worst to worst to worst case scenario, if he does win, I think it'll be crunch time. We will have to make sure that we get out, we get our voices heard. And, you know, I wanted to allude back to my previous conversation with you about uh, Justice Ginsburg. So then at that point mm. of time, we have to make sure that if we have a racist, xenophobic, like really disgusting individual in the White House serving as the so-called president, mm. we have to make sure that we, uh, you know, the progressive part of the country or progressives of the country help get the voices of the uh, of the voiceless heard. Uh, we mm -hmm. have to make sure that we have a House, a Senate that is actually all democratic. So we have to, you know, what when we say people to vote for Joe Biden, we just don't say vote Democrat for president. We say vote for Democrat up and down the ballot, meaning starting from your mm -hmm. city councils mm -hmm. to your school boards, to your county elections, to your sheriff elections, all the way to your congressional races, uh, district races, to Senate races. 
because it is important that you know once we have that majority even if we have a tyrant as the president a dictator as a president we can make sure that we will still have a voice in the governance of this country and that can only happen i was talking about checks and balances so you know as you know there are three parts of the government here in the us the judiciary the house mm. and the president's uh, the presidency the executive branch the judicial branch and the um, mm. the congressional branch if we right. have some control over congress and congress and senate we remember that all of the laws are passed through them we can make sure that we are you know passing laws which are more inclusive of people which takes care of our communities and you know uh, is more equitable to all we are making sure that supreme court nominees or anybody that goes through any uh, you know candidates for positions in the administration go forward are fully vetted by our people so mm. we will have to step up yes so i and i can assure you if you remember sadiana i actually was part of this but i don't know if you remember this 4 years ago when donald trump became president on that unfortunate day mm. after his inauguration <laughs> the second day was a larger crowd in washington dc and we basically talked yeah. about uh, you know it was the women's rights uh, you know women's march the first ever women's march yeah. that happened in dc and it had thousands and thousands and thousands of people i was actually part of that i'd never been to a demonstration i went mm. there and it was just i realized this is and you know one of the chants i remember from you know that that day was this is what democracy looks like and i honestly felt yeah. this is what a democracy should look like yes we have a tyrant you know a cheater in the white house but we we actually had our voices heard we made sure that these people know that we are still here we will hold you accountable when you do something wrong and uh today or tomorrow we will make sure that we will get you out of this office and we will restore justice in this country again and we were in the end if you were to describe america how would you do that you know i would just take the analogy that has been given by so many people i think it's a melting pot a nation of immigrants it is a nation of opportunity i think this what this country has given me i can never repay it back it gave me love the opportunity it gave me a sense of belonging it recognized my identity as somebody who's different uh when i came here i i used to think that you know um i'll i'll count these few that but i am a linguistic minority i speak hindi mm-hmm. i am mm-hmm. a ethnic minority i'm indian racial minority again ethnic or racial minority i am a religious minority i come from a religion called jainism which is one of the smallest religions right. in the world but you know uh, popular in india but again a very small part of indians are jains but i'm a religious minority i'm a sexual minority so you yeah. can imagine i check so many of these boxes but this country has embraced me and has loved me for who i am and has celebrated me for who i am the last yeah. four years that that i felt has changed a little bit so what i'm doing every day day after day with joe biden i'm doing that for the campaign so i can restore you know that feeling that i had when i first moved to america so it's a melting pot it's yeah. a welcoming country who has never looked you know for who you are who you love and how you love it's just loved you back regardless thank you so much vibhav this was wonderful and i had so much fun talking to you oh wow this was so much fun and i am so grateful that vibhav came on our platform and shared his story And as I said during the interview and intro if you don't want to vote this time think about voting for people who cannot vote or people who are marginalized in America right now 
they need your vote and i can completely understand that you are disillusioned if you are progressive and you're angry i am angry too but honestly at this point in time we don't have an option we cannot wait this out for more information about our podcast you can go to immigrantlypod.com we have instagram and twitter our instagram is at @immigrantlypod and our twitter is at @immigrantly_pod until next time when we have another amazing story take care Oh